Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 37 with our guest, Jared Warren. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the studio. You found us. How magnificent is that? You are tuned right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself tired, overworked, or burned out? Now, obviously, that's a trick question, of course, because we all feel that way one time or another during our days or our weeks or what turn into all of our careers or, dare I say, most of our lives. I've been there personally plenty of times and have spent years consistently in that space, tired, unmotivated, confused, and concerned about my future, my well-being, and surely the future and well-being of my family, the very people who look to me and rely on me. Now, our guest today dedicates his life to helping those in that very situation achieve greater levels of peak performance and reach their maximum potential. Who in the world doesn't want that? He is the host and founder of the wildly successful podcast called Success 101 Podcast and the author of the book, From Success to Significance. Everything he does has proven to be a key component in shaping the strategies, the systems, and the overall mindset of people who are looking to maximize their time, calendar efficiency, vision building, and overall peak performance. You have no idea how excited I am to dive into all of this because I want it. I need us. Help us. Show us the way and help us welcome to the show. It's our guest, Jared Warren. How's it going, Josh? Jared? So excited to be here. How are things? Things are magnificent. Thanks for asking. So let me get straight to this question. Um, your, your podcast is called Success 101 Podcast. Your book is titled From Success to Significance. Let's unravel that word as you define it. What, talk us through this word success. What does that mean? How do, how do you define that word? Yeah, great. I mean, great question to start off with. Success looks very different to a lot of different people, as your listeners will know. What is successful to me could be successful, you know, completely different to other people. And I think just in our culture today, our busyness, our society, everyone thinks about success as primarily achievement, accomplishment, um, all sorts of things, right? Uh, I've learned over the years, and I heard this from a great guest, Jesse Hitzler, a good friend of mine, uh, who came on my show and said success to him meant that whenever he's older, his adult children want to still hang out with him. Now, that's not a typical definition that people would put as a fill in the blank of success, but I absolutely guarantee you that resonated with me having three small children, three little girls of my own. I mean, how can you not say that that is success? But most people don't define it that way. Most people say success is more business related, financial related, some milestone, some marker. And what I really learned is, in the burnout and the fatigue that I went through, which I'm sure we'll get into some here today, is that those success looks very different to everyone out there. You can't just start by waking up saying, I want to be successful tomorrow, whatever that means to you. And the reason Success 101 started, which isn't just a 
cliche name or a name to be thrown around. The reason Success 101 started is once I really started learning how the brain and the body work, how negative thoughts work, how positive thoughts work, all of those sort of things, sleep, rest, nutrition, habits, I thought I've got to teach people just as I'm learning how to get back to the building blocks of whatever success is for them. So the 101 really comes in as let's get to the building blocks of success. And it doesn't start by going out and having successful meetings with people. It doesn't go out and, you know, accomplishing things that you want to accomplish. It starts with something as boring and simple as getting great sleep at night or retraining your thoughts in a different way or writing down your goals and affirmations every day. That is the 101 that people talk about. People talk about on these podcasts all the time, but I find very few people are actually putting that into practice. And once I did, it completely changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. I agree with that. And I would not say that lightly either. I, um, I spent decades in a dark, aggravated, depressed, confused, agitated way with no real knowledge of how to get myself out. And the, the big real concern was that I was aware enough to say, I, I, I think I'm better than this. I, I think I'm smarter than this. I think I'm more capable of this. But as you know, nothing I did seemed to support that logical scenario. Right. It's an uphill climb. And, and I'm a very competitive person. I'm a very driven person, as I'm sure many of your listeners are out there. And I just... I was of the mentality I could just muscle it through and muscle it through trying to muscle through your problems, trying to outwork your problems. As we get older, we realize that doesn't work like it did in our 20s or early 30s. Once more risk comes on the plate, once more responsibility comes on the plate, uh, once just your time is not as much of your own, so you have to get really strategic with all of that, you realize that muscling it through outworking your problems is really not a strategy as much as it is uh, an uphill battle or climb, just as you said. And even if you have that awareness, a lot of people don't even have that awareness, but if you have that awareness to know, I think I'm better than this. I think I'm, I'm, think I'm maybe doing things the wrong way, beating my head against the wall, whatever cliche or, or phrase you want to throw in there. Uh, how do you change that? You don't just wake up tomorrow and say, okay, I'm better than this, so I'm just going to start doing better tomorrow. It is strategy. It is a life by design, not by default. And once again, once I started learning that, it set me on a course on all areas of my life, personally and professionally, to really get the word out to people that you cannot muscle it through and your best days are ahead of you, but only if you really get back to the building blocks of whatever that success is to you. And then, as my book says, moving on into significance because success on paper or checking off a, a box of success items, you know, at the end of the day, that is not significant. Those are not always the things people are going to remember. Um, and so we'll dive into some of that, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm living exactly what you're talking about right now. As you've gone through, I slowly but surely was able to like you said, it's not just, oh, I'm going to start doing it. You snap a finger and then it's done. It's a slow and steady internal process that you have to, and I have to change all those habits, both internal mental habits and outward physical habits, and one at a time, change them and layer them. Like today, if I took time to outline them on paper, there's probably 20 or 30 literal deliberate things that I do every single day from the moment I go to sleep to the moment I wake up and vice versa that just makes it all good now. And your book, From Success to Significance, I love that because thinking about it, you might just accept that title without really hearing it. Because when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, he's saying that those are two different things. If you have success, it's not necessarily significance because the title is From Success to Significance. So help us unravel that. Yeah, uh, what I found out is I was very successful. I, I run a full-time financial advisory practice. I run uh, an office here of about 40 or 50 people here in the Dallas area. And what I noticed was I'd been very successful in my career. I'd been successful in sports early on. I'd been just, just competitive, I should say. And so success to me was you know, notching off the things that I was doing and, and being successful at that, leading um, nationally in some categories and, and those sort of things and on and on and on. And those things sound great but that's not significance. And I think people confuse that. I probably confuse that a lot. Whenever we are dead and gone, Josh, people are not going to remember the accolades that we had. 
people are not going to remember the things that we did. People are going to remember the way we made them feel, the way we tied into our bigger purpose and our bigger vision. And if there's anything I can stress to your listeners uh, today, it's if you have been successful, great for you. If you have done the things you want to do as far as that measure of success, great for you. Those things, if you're not careful, though, could be a false indicator of how you define your life and not moving you, not getting you out of the comfort zone, not replanning yourself every couple of years to where you really move forward into a level of significance. So whenever I put this book together, it is a workbook of exercises. I'm not one, you know, I do a lot of audio books, but my schedule is so busy. If somebody hands me a big thick book, my wife will pour through that in a weekend. I'll probably never pick it up, right? I just, I would be honest with myself. I know where my weaknesses are and it's not sitting down and making the time to read a book. So whenever I did this book, I was like, okay, I'm not doing an audio book with it. Um, that's not my intention here. I want it to set up like a workbook. And so a lot of the exercises that go through there are really a couple of things. Number one, it's creating bigger vision for what it is that you're trying to go. Your bigger vision, your bigger why to living a life by design. Again, not just by default, but then also working through the five, the six vision building strategies and the five components for how we create a bigger vision. And the reason that I did this was I'd always said in my real negative thinking, I'd always said that I'm not a big vision person, yet I called myself a leader. Uh, I'm not sure that how much of a leader you can be without having a really big vision and having others follow that vision. And one of the reasons that I did this was I was playing to my weaknesses in order to make them a strength. So if I didn't have a big vision, what better thing to do than to sharpen myself, but then also take that out to the world in a vision building manual. And so that's what turned into the book. And my hope through that is that people really do create their bigger why, their bigger goals, their bigger vision, but then also really look at themselves as a person and what they're, what they're doing in life as a whole. What their, what their big vision is for not only success on paper, but leaving a lasting legacy. In fact, a couple of the exercises in there are your legacy, uh, creating a legacy vision. It's, you know, you've already passed on and you're dead and gone. What are people saying about you? What are they writing about you? And you're writing that yourself. Mm. And you take a long look at that and go, wow, how am I, how am I measuring up to that? Because that's where the significance part part comes in. It's not just what do I want to accomplish this year in revenue? How many transactions do I want to have? Whatever your business is, whoever's listening in out there. It is what are people saying about you when you're gone, especially the people you were closest with. And, uh, you know, success is great. I mean, my podcast is Success 101. How do we get to building blocks of success? But you have to transform that into something more meaningful as life goes on. And uh, that was really the vision for the book. I, I adore all of that. I love it. Um, I know that in a variety of ways, you help people with things like their business productivity, their personal growth, their morning and evening sleep routines, and their health and fitness. I know a lot of that encompasses everything we really need to master to do our best. But I want to focus, if you will, on the brain and the mind. Is that something that you would agree is a top priority within that checklist of things that I've uh, outlined? It's got to be. It's, it's literally one of my favorite things to, to talk about. And the, the reason I love it, for those listening in, you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a brain scientist of any kind or a neuro, neuroscientist, I should say, in order to utilize how the brain works for your benefit. The brain, the brain really, I mean, you may see those memes out there online that say scumbag brain and like your brain tricks you into doing things. I mean, our brains literally, and I wouldn't have known this, the brain is incredible. I mean, we were created to have a supercomputer beyond supercomputers in our head. And if you use that the right way, it's great. If you let it use itself by its own default methods, it can really sabotage your performance. The brain was really, really exists for two things. Number one, is to help get you out of fear, like to remove you from fear, remove you from painful situations to protect you, basically. And the other thing is to conserve energy. So if there's anything that your body is doing that is putting you in a state of fear, you're, you don't have to think about it very long. You're going to have that fight or flight reaction. The adrenaline's flowing. People lift cars off of people. People run faster than they've ever run before. Where did that come from? That's your brain kicking all of that in. But then also it's to get you out of, uh, it's to conserve energy and get you out of like just burning up a bunch of energy. That's why it's so easy to be lazy. Like it's super easy to be lazy and your brain helps you with a lot of that. So the whole scumbag brain thing is if you leave it up to its own devices, you are not going to push through a lot of things that you should. You're not going to challenge yourself. You're going to take the easy route instead of the painful route that's going to stretch you and grow you. And then you're going to conserve a lot of energy by not using willpower for your benefit. What was your personal 
um, negative mindset like? What was the stories? What was the things going on that held you back? Well, I mean, I just grew up in a, in a real negative uh, and, and didn't even realize it. I didn't, I didn't realize how negative I was until I really started coaching other individuals and hearing that feedback, which almost turned a big mirror back on me. I'm, I'm always the one that when somebody says, hey, you did a great job in the game, I go, well, I missed three tackles. And, I'm, and they're like, yeah, but you did a good job here. And I'm like, yeah, but then this other thing happened. Or, hey, you had a great month in business. And I'm like, well, I really you know, didn't do this. Or did, and you know, people would kind of walk away. And early in my career, I thought, I'm starting to pick up on the fact that what they approached me with, which was a positive conversation that they intended to have, they're kind of leaving almost confused as to why my reaction was what it was. So I started noticing that I was not normal. In fact, I think most people are negative, more negative to some degree. Your your brain is, you know, what do they say? Your brain is, uh, it's uh, Velcro for negative thoughts and it's Teflon for positive thoughts. I mean, we have so many things to be grateful for out there. And, and the practice of gratitude is just so amazing. Science would tell you that and psychology would tell you that. But our brains tend to focus on the negative. We always do that. And so people probably tend to be a little bit more negative. Uh, but I started noticing people were confused by my re- responses. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm just more negative than most. And then I started seeing it when I was coaching other people. Um, but as far as just the, the negative mindset and not looking at gratitude and doing those sort of things, my brain was working in that way. But my brain was also working or not working, I, I guess I should say, from a very much lack of sleep. So in 2015, I actually, you know, had to, guys don't typically go to the doctor, but my situation was so bad, I could not think straight, I couldn't focus on things. And of course, people say, oh, yeah, I have ADHD too. This was not that. This was almost like, am I having some real cognitive impairment here? Went and saw a top neuroscience, uh, neurologist here in Dallas, and he ran me through a bunch of tests. And long story short, he said, hey, you need to get more sleep. So on a 10-day rolling average, which is how he had me track my sleep, which I would encourage your listeners, if you're trying to really track your sleep, there's some apps out there I can recommend. But if you look at your sleep or your time in bed on a 10-day rolling average, that's the best way to track it rather than night by night. But on my first 10-day rolling average that I tracked, Josh, I was at four hours and three minutes of sleep over a 10-day average 10-day period. And you know, people say, well, did you try melatonin? Did you try? And I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't have trouble going to sleep. I just set my alarm really early every morning after staying up late at night thinking I had to work on other things. So I was forcing myself not to stay in bed for very long. And in your 20s, maybe that works through college. Maybe that works uh, if you're doing something really harmful like popping tons of Adderall or amphetamines or just pounding caffeine. Maybe that works for a little while, but you're going to have some degeneration of your neurocognitive abilities and functions that that cannot that cannot stay that way over time. Sleep is incredibly important and so much more studies are coming out on that. And uh, I had to fight it. I'm a go, go, go type of person, just as I, as I assume you are. And so that was not an easy one for me until I hit my rock bottom and realized I'm a pretty negative person. I'm a pretty poor leader from a thought process. And I'm not even getting enough sleep to give myself a fighting chance each day. And I'm pretty much becoming horrible to everyone around me. So much, so much good to dig deeper into a couple of things. Um, I love the awareness you had when, um, cause I've heard it before when somebody approaches you with a compliment, uh, you sort of offset that of, yeah, but I missed three of those tackles, for example. Um, looking back, whether it's a few years or many years to early on in your life, how and where do you think that came from? You know, I, I guess I, you know, not, not to say my dad, I mean, my dad's a pretty negative person. I don't think he realized it either. And I, you know, I had, the reason I say I hesitate to say that, I really do think that's where the, I'm a byproduct of that. We're all a byproduct of our situation, but I'm, I'm all about taking more ownership for myself these days. So I do think that's where it came from, but at the same time, I hesitate saying it because I don't want anyone to think that I'm using that or was using that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you are in control every day of what you do and you cannot blame your circumstances you can't blame your parents you can't blame me he was doing the best that he knew to do but you know when you hear that enough that's you know that's that's where you live you live in that black and white world and so uh i just didn't have enough awareness of it to know that i was doing it in order to change it so Mm -hmm. that's that's when it all changes whenever i took ownership of it and realized what i needed to do absolutely brilliant uh um words where it's not saying uh, it's, it's okay to acknowledge where it might have come from, but it's not okay, as you said, to then use that as well, then there's nothing I can do about it. Once you do acknowledge the responsibility, the onus is for you to take that power back and to say, 
my goodness, I see that now. Move on and change it as you did. Yeah, it reminds me of a story I heard. I don't even remember where I heard this, and I may, I may butcher it, but it's going to be a little bit close. But this story, you may have heard it, Josh. There's two brothers. There's, you know, twin brothers, whatever. And their dad's an alcoholic. He's abusive. He's just, life is in ruins, and that's all they know. And so they grow up, and they start getting out on their own. And you kind of flash, you know, fast forward the, the, the tape, and you see one of them as a homeless guy on the street. And someone interviews him saying, how did you get here, man? Like, you know, what happened? And he's like, well, my dad's an alcoholic. I'm a byproduct of what I know. How, what else would I be doing? Almost as if this is all, this is, this is the choice. I mean, this is the, uh, this is the only choice I have. They go to the other brother. He's a successful entrepreneur. He's got a successful family, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. And they say, hey, how did you get to this point? And he said, my dad was an alcoholic and abusive. His life was in shambles what else would I be doing right now? And, and the whole point of that is you can take that either way you want to, um, but looking at the same situation as either I'm a byproduct of that or I recognize it for what it is and I'm going to go do something different. Mm, chills. I literally got the chills when you say that because it's, it, it's the exact same words and a complete different meaning. I love that. So when you went to the doctor at that time and uh, you learned that, hey, whether you realize this or not, you need more sleep. And you're like, yeah, I'm only getting four hours. Um, you said that you were staying up way late, getting up way early. What kept you busy at night? Because it sounded like what you said, it was something that wasn't the healthiest of things. While, while the end goal and uh, you know, uh, product was, I'm sure, healthy, but, but the execution wasn't, right? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was staying busy. It was working on things, whether it be work emails, whether it be uh, presentations I'm putting together for my financial advising clients, whether it's, uh, I mean, let's face it, it wasn't all productive. It's getting in the, the wormhole of YouTube videos and you just go click, click, click on and on and on. And then before you know it, you're watching, you know, drag racing videos and you're like, I, I was pulling up sports clips. How did, you know, how did I get here? Something like that. Uh, and then you look up and you go, man, it's midnight. I should go get a shower. I should do whatever. And then of course, when I lay down at night, I go, well, crap, I'm only going to get like three or four hours of sleep. But uh, you know, my parents got very little sleep growing up. I watched them do that and they operated fine. Uh, I, I'm the same. And I had a lot of pride behind that, a lot of pride. And I would set my alarm and go, well, you know what? I'll just suck it up. I'll just, I'll just do what I got to do and tell myself I've got to, I've got to fight through it. I'll get four hours of sleep tonight and yeah, we'll just, we'll just suck it up. And again, I wasn't learn I didn't know anything back then about how the brain works and lack of sleep and all of that, like I do today. And I would be almost terrified to do that to myself these days. Uh, I'm glad to say my 10 hour rolling average over the last probably right at a year is right at seven hours. Mm -hmm. uh, some nights I get way more, you know, but it's also the, the other things. And if you, if you don't mind, let's dive into kind of the, the evening routine uh, in uh, so many people talk about a morning routine and not to detract from that at all. The morning routine is important for most people because it's how they get their day started. It's how they get out of the gate running. And that is so important, but I'm here to tell you that 80% or more, could be more, but 80% or more in my mind of an incredible morning actually starts in the PM. And it actually starts a little sooner than you might think. It actually starts about 2 p.m. the day before. And so many of your listeners and mine are probably out there just like I do. They pound caffeine, they drink caffeine, you know, whatever. Uh, caffeine has a half-life on it. And for the average person out there, it's about six hours. So six to seven hours typically. So, you know, normally if you have a, a cup of coffee at 5 p.m., you know, before you end your day, just to power through the last hour of work before you go home and fight traffic and you need that little pick-me-up so you can be good, quote unquote, once you get in with your family or I just heard all these stories. Um, it's, it's got a half-life on it of, you know, six to seven hours. So that means three and a half to four possibly hours that, that you drink that coffee three or four hours later you still have half the effects of that caffeine in your system to where when you get ready to start winding down in the evening, your resting heart rate is still up, your cortisol from the stress hormone that gets released by your adrenal glands is still up, uh, your body is not producing melatonin like it should because it's still rocking on all cylinders. And so these are all things that I had to learn from a busy, busy person. And believe me, if I, if I can heed these words and slow down, anybody can. Uh, I, was, I was competitive and driven almost to a fault. But starting to wind down, have your last cup of caffeine or any sort of stimulant, pick me up, energy drink. Hopefully you're not doing a lot of that anyway. But if, if for those of you out there who are doing those things, don't do any of that after 2 p.m. would be my first recommendation for you. Um, but just because of how long that's going to stay in your system. The second thing is drinking tons of water during the day. Um, 
my good friend Alex Sharfin here in Texas has his natural thirst challenge. Uh, if you guys go to getthirstynow.com, it's a very basic uh, concept, but our body is made to crave water. And as an entrepreneur, as a busy person, the most or the highest source of dehydration I'm sorry, the highest source of fatigue doesn't come typically even from lack of sleep. As surprising that may be, it starts with dehydration. 2% or more of dehydration, but at at 2%, your brain starts feeling levels of fatigue. So you get the brain fog, you get the negative thoughts, your willpower decreases, and then it filters on through the body to where you're tired and your joints hurt and all those sort of things. So in his 10-day challenge, basically he says, you know, it's not a food fast. You can eat whatever you want, but the only liquid that needs to be going into your body is water. Don't drink coffee. I know this can be hard for some of you out there, but don't drink coffee. Don't drink any sports drinks, energy drinks, any of that. Just anytime you pour liquid down your throat, make sure it's good old quality H2O spring water, something that's filtered that doesn't have a lot of crap in it like our municipality or municipal systems here and all over do. And what you'll notice is, is you're drinking more water than you ever have. But when you stop, when you stop drinking water after the 10 day, or actually well before that, even during the 10 day period, you will notice that you are thirsty a lot which really flies in the face of logic. But what it is is your body telling you, you're finally giving me the things I need to thrive on and I wanna soak up as much of it as I can. Give me more, give me more. Whereas now we are conditioned to drink coffee, energy drinks, sports drinks, you name it. And our body is not conditioned to thrive and want that hydration. But the best thing you can do for your brain by far is hydration and sleep. Fully agree. I love that and it's so true. Um, I, I do drink coffee. Um, but I do only also drink water. Um, for years, I can't even remember the last time I, I made a conscious uh, choice, no soda. Soda is so unnecessary for, for just health and fitness and well-being. I mean, I don't, I, I don't have it in my house. I have two small children, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. We don't, we don't offer juice or soda. We, we, we just don't carry it in the house. And I feel very good of that. If, if I can get a half a gallon to a gallon of water every day, that's, that's the win. And, and, it's, and, and even if you make that little change, you're going to feel, feel better. So walk us through the evening ritual. What do we do about that? Yeah, so we start at 2 p.m., cutting off caffeine. That would be the first place that I would start. And for some of your listeners, they may process caffeine differently, but just to be safe. Uh, I actually have someone uh, that I advise here, one of our financial advisors who actually told, I didn't realize this, he told me the other day that he has to stop drinking caffeine at noon. And I'm like, really? That's, a, that's you know, 2 p.m. for me, noon for him. He's like, yeah, if I have anything after, after noon, I, I just cannot wind down at night. So it, it affects him severely. Some people would say, and I think my wife could be in this category or people like this, you go to a dinner at night, a nice dinner, steakhouse, something like that. What do they ask you at the end of the meal? Would you like some coffee? Very few times do you hear people actually ordering decaf. Why? Because nobody likes likes decaf coffee, right? Why would you even get it? What's the point? (laughs) Right? And so people order coffee. And I'll say, you know, I'll say something like, hey, you know, uh, I try not to impose too much on people. You know, once you learn this stuff, it's contagious. It's hard not to tell people. But, you know, I'll kind of mention like, hey, you you know, you realize you're going to be up tonight. Oh, no, no, not me. I process caffeine very well. I have no trouble going to sleep. That may very well be the case. Blue lights and screens in your face at night, which I'll hit on in just a moment, caffeine, all of that. You may very well be the type of person who processes it in a way where you can go on to sleep. The question is, how much restful sleep are you getting? Our body goes through cycles about every 90 minutes and you've got different cycles of the night. And, you know, you've, Josh, you may have had the time before where you sleep a ton of hours, maybe a long weekend or vacation. You sleep a ton of hours and you wake up and go, man, I'm exhausted. Like I feel fatigued and I got eight and a half hours. It's just because you didn't have the restful sleep. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll stop the caffeine around 2 p.m. As I said, I will, uh, if, if it's been a really stressful day and I've got a lot of the cortisol and a lot of the, just the stress hormones, the adrenaline built up, I want to be great whenever I get home from my family. You've got two small kids. I've got three small kids. I mean, you know, when you walk through that door, it's a circus. It's an absolute circus. So the first thing I would do, this isn't really part of my routine. First thing I would do if I was you guys is use what I would just say is the threshold rule is, is when you're getting ready to walk through that threshold at the end of the day, and you can use this for business meetings during the day, you can use it for whatever. But when you get ready to walk through that threshold, just pause. Uh, signify what your goals are, signify your intentions, know that it's about to be a circus when you walk in there, some days worse than others. But if we don't pause and do that, then we're, we're either going to be zombies or we're going to be you know, terrible to our family and they get the worst of us after we've worked hard for everybody else all day long, right? So uh, what I will do though is, is if the stressors are up high, 
is uh, I will take, by the way, I'll just go ahead and say it now. Josh, you and I are no doctors. We're not giving medical advice. There's no, uh, I'm not writing a prescription for anyone here. So just take that for what it's worth. But I have found uh, a GABA. If you guys uh, have, have tuned into GABA before, there's uh, a component of GABA in alcohol. There's a component of GABA in a lot of the things out there that help us uh, de-stress. But taking GABA, taking a couple of pills of GABA in the evening, I don't have mine here with me, but uh, you know, 250 milligrams each. So I take about 500 milligrams of GABA at the end of the day. It's the kind of the social bumper car that just helps, you know, just helps bring you down way healthier than going home and slamming a two or three beers every single day. Like some people do or drinking a ton of wine. Um, I read a study the other day that stay at home moms, really there's kind of a, an epidemic in this country where stay at home moms are kind of hitting the wine bottle more than they ever have before and justifying it from stress. So, uh, so take GABA, you know, experiment with that. See if it helps you calm down a little bit. Don't take it too late. I never try to take it after seven or 8 PM because it will, it, it's interesting. It, it winds you down, but for some reason it can also stimulate you if you take it, if you take it uh, during the time that you're trying to really wind down after it's dark in your home. So somewhere around 5 PM, 5:30, 4:30 PM, somewhere around in there for your time zone is, uh, is probably the optimal time that I would take it. Come home, have a light dinner, I really don't eat any carbs anyway, but studies show if you eat a, a really heavy meal or ton of carbs before bed, it's going to really impact your, uh, your wind down and your restfulness, it takes your resting heart rate up, all kinds of things happen physiologically and, and inside the body and the brain. And then what, what I try to do, and I haven't really mastered this yet, so I hate to even say it, uh, don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but what I really am working on is the idea of a digital sunset. So I try to keep screens out of my face at night. I try to keep as many blue lights. Uh, we have hardly any blue light. We don't have TV at home, you know, those sort of things. All of my tablets. So I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Apple fan. So every tablet, phone, device, everything that I have has, let me just show you real quick here, has uh, the night, night vision. So when people look at my phone or any of my devices, you'll see that there's like a tent on that phone, right? And what I've also got, and I can send this, these links to your listeners, if you do have to get on your screen at night, Blue light comes out of these devices, the same spectrum as the sun. The sun looks yellow, but if you look at it from a scientific, like visual spectrum standpoint, it's actually emitting the same blue light as your TVs and phones and all that. That's why a trillion dollar company like Apple has now said, we got to get smart about this. We got to put, they didn't have to put that on their phones, but they, they understand that people's health is at stake here. People are going blind from, you know, studies of blue light and all that sort of thing. So what I'll do is I have this night vision. I have it on my phone pretty much 24 hours a day. You can't set it nonstop. So it, it's like 3.59 a.m. to 4 a.m. It'll like actually kick off, but I'm never awake during that time. So I don't see it. Uh, I used to be uh, back in the day, but I will have this on all of my devices. And then what I do is I've got a setting to where I can turn this phone. If you're noticing this here, I can actually turn this phone by triple tapping the side button or my home screen. I can turn it uh, completely red, as you can see there. And I, I will send you the link for that. So if you're laying in bed at night and you're like, hey, I'd like to watch a documentary movie once in a blue moon. I'd like to review a document from work that I just really need to make sure I'm prepared for tomorrow. Make sure that you have that phone in the red spectrum or in at least the lowest setting of, of night vision or night mode that you can get it on, night shift. I mean, and that's going to keep all that blue light out. That blue light keeps melatonin from producing in your brain. And when we've got the, the sun in our eyes, that's why the sun's really good in the mornings for the morning routine is get out, get some sun on you, get that, get that, uh, that cortisol built up, the melatonin wound down, and at night you want to do the exact opposite. So keep the blue lights out of your eyes, keep the TVs out of your eyes. My good friend James Swanick actually sells blue blocking glasses. If you've got a TV, uh, Samsung, LG, all, they're all the same. They don't have these filters on their, uh, on their devices yet. So you're looking at the TV, even if you're 40 feet across the room from it, and you think, well, it's not, you know, I'm not right up next to it like my screen. It's not really hurting my eyes. It's still keeping that melatonin from from coming in and being produced in your brain. So it's very important to have blue light blocking glasses or to have night shift or some sort of filter on all of your devices. So that'd be the second thing is wind down with a digital sunset. If you have to get on your screens or TVs, have some sort of a blue light blocker that's out there. So now that takes us on up a little bit closer to the bedtime. Um, I don't think it's as controversial as it used to be, but some people might, might think so. But CBD oil, I don't know if you've ever experimented with CBD oil. That's not the illegal part of marijuana like THC is. It's a component of it. So that's why people go, whoa, you know, what, yeah. are, you, what are you suggesting here? Yeah. Uh, but CBD oil has been proven to help tons of stuff. Everything from uh, Parkinson's, 
to Alzheimer's to sleep, which is, you know, which is what I use it for. So I can link up the CBD oil that I take. You take about 20 drops of that. And uh, I have no ties to these products. It's just what I found is helpful for me. So just full, mm -hmm. full disclosure there. And you go into restful sleep. Here's where it gets a little bit weird, and I might lose some of your uh, some of your audience, but just just hold on with me here. Like, go for it. Just just bear with me here. So, I read a book that really changed my perspective on uh, not only sleep but how we breathe during sleep, called The Oxygen Advantage by my good friend Patrick McEwen. And if you go over to my uh, podcast, Success One Hundred One Podcast, or you just Google Patrick McEwen or The Oxygen Advantage and Jared Warren, we've got a two part series over there where I read his book, and as soon as I was done or halfway through it, I was like, I got to get this guy on my show. What he goes through is talking about the uh, in athletic events, Olympic events, sporting events, professional events, all of that, how oxygen is so crucial, which like, yeah, for sure, we know that, right? But how oxygen works and how breathing through your nose is so different than breathing through your mouth, which most of us do. You've heard the phrase mouth breather before, and you know everybody does that. So what he suggested, and again, go get the book, don't, you know, don't, don't knock it till you try it type thing, but he said, you know, if you want to sleep with your mouth closed at night, number one, you're going to uh, eliminate so much dehydration from just breathing through your mouth like most of us do in the middle of the night. You're also going to breathe in and create tons of nitric oxide that your mouth doesn't create. There's a ton of benefits for your brain and restful sleep uh, around nitric oxide. And just the way your nose holes are so much smaller than your mouth, there's a reason for that. So what he suggested and what I've done now for probably about 18 to 20 months maybe is to uh, tape my mouth shut at night, every night whenever I fall asleep, uh, which I'm sure my wife loves whenever I give, <laughs> take, take my mouth shut. Right, like, why didn't you do this earlier? Uh, <laughs> but, but it was crazy. And I, if somebody had just told me that without any research, I would have thought this dude's nuts. Like, get out of here. Like, I don't know who I'm following, but it's not you, you know, type thing. But, but reading through the book, there's so much scientific evidence to why you want to breathe through your nose at night. And you're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to close your mouth and go, well, I'll just, I'll just make sure my mouth's closed when I go to sleep. <laughs> so you tape your mouth with 3M micropore surgical tape. And for me, I've got a very extremely bad deviated septum in my nose. I broke my nose twice when I was playing basketball when I was younger, and it's just all jacked up in there. So if I close my mouth completely off, I will almost, I'll almost suffocate at night if I get in the, in the wrong position. So I use these uh, Mute, it's called, and you can get it on Amazon, Mute nose, nose Spacers by a company called RhinoMed. Just type in Mute Nose Spacers and they'll come up. But I just pop those things up there. It's kind of like a... Uh, you know, the strips, the breathe right strips that you put on your nose. It's kind of like that on steroids because it goes up into your nose and just opens your nose wide open. So I breathe deeply through my gut instead of my chest. I produce a ton of nitric oxide at night. I eliminate a ton of, uh, of dehydration that was occurring before and it fuels my brain. There's a process that goes on in your brain. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's basically like, you know, like a janitor coming in and doing just a deep clean on your brain. That's the chemicals that ro roll around your brain. And if you're not getting the nit nitric oxide, the deep sleep, the, the dehydration, if all of that's going on, you're going to either cut that process short or it's not going to drop into the, the mind cleaning uh, state that our brain naturally goes through. And you really, you know, over time, you build up a lot of residue and fatigue and and re, uh, neurodegeneration of your brain and cells and all of that. So all of this to say, I know for some of you, if you've never heard that, some of you may be doing that already. It's becoming more widely known, but uh, I know that may just seem a little bit out there, but if you're someone who says, I don't sleep a lot, I'm in a performance-based business every day, I've got to be on for my family and on for my business and on for my clients. And man, what I'm doing right now just ain't cutting it. Even if I'm getting six, seven, eight hours of sleep a night, I would really encourage you. This is, this is drastic, guys. This is I mean, really, I, I don't use words lightly. This is a life or death situation because you are cutting tons of your years short on your life and your relationships by not getting super good rest. So I'll pop all that into my, um, my nose, my mouth, typically have some sort of white noise on at night. I want to sleep with it really cold. Science tells you that if you sleep around somewhere optimally around 68 to 64 degrees in your home, um, you're going to just going to get much deeper of a restful sleep if you're under the covers or whatever. But, um, yeah, those are the things that I do. And uh, really the key, as you can hear here, is finding what works for you because not everything that works for me is what works for you except for taping your mouth shut and having no spaces in your nose because that's just, that's everybody. Like building that nitric oxide and how your body drops into deeper rest, that is for everybody. Caffeine may affect people differently. Screens may affect people differently, but you just want to make sure that you are going to the extreme and then testing what works and, uh, and really just getting an incredible night's sleep.
genius on so many levels. We're going to link to all of those things in the show notes. Uh, today, what, what time do you go to sleep and get up these days? Normally, I am trying to get wound down. Even if I'm not in bed with head on pillow, I am doing a lot of the things I'm telling you. And I am, I am ready, physically ready in a position to go to bed at least by 10 or 1030. Now, I'm human, right? I, I, even with the lessons that I've learned, I don't always nail that perfectly. I still get, um, you know, I still say, oh, I'm going to review this document. Let me throw my phone into blood red mode here and you know, kind of look over it real quick. And then I go and answer, you know, four or five emails. That's, that's, that's rare. I don't do that a lot, but I'll go, man, wh- that's so dumb. Why did I do that? But don't beat yourself up over it. Learn from it and just make sure you're not, you know, you're not doing it again. Or maybe we have a, a late movie night. Like tonight, my kids are little. They've been wanting to watch E.T. for a long time. I don't know where this came from. So tonight we're going to go, <laughs> yeah, who knows? They want to watch E.T. So I'm like, okay, we're going to go rent E.T. I might be up a little bit later tonight watching a movie night or doing whatever and then talking to my wife. But I'll make sure that since it's a weekend, I'll set my alarm for the amount of time I need to get about eight, hour, eight hours of sleep. And because I'm doing all the other stuff that I'm doing, really helps on those nights where I do get in bed a little bit later and I have to shave it off a little bit, maybe six hours every now and then. Uh, I'm still dropping into those super restful uh, states to help overcompensate for some of that. So I'm, I'm getting up, you know, I get up early. I hit the ground running each morning, but um, most important thing is just making sure that you're setting your alarm to get the right amount of sleep, no matter what time you go to bed. Right, whatever that is for you. And also something I've learned fairly recently is forget that snooze button, right? When oh, your alarm man. goes off, get up. And, it, and that also almost sounds counterproductive. It's like, no, 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 10 more minutes would be so beneficial. No. Yeah, you actually sabotage what sleep you were getting. It's, it's almost like I don't want to face the day enough that I'm going to actually make it worse on myself. You know, it's like, it's like I feel bad and I don't want to get up. So I'm going to go through two or three rounds of snoozing to make it even worse so that when I do finally get up, I'm as groggy as, you know, as I can be. So what, what I start doing, good point here, I, I am a, I'm a very deep sleeper very, very deep sleeper. Even back when I wasn't getting a lot of sleep, I was just, uh, I just go into such a deep sleep. So what I would do is I would put an iPad beside my bed or you guys can use whatever, but I would put something that had an alarm on it beside my bed. And I would set it for two minutes earlier than my, I guess what I would call my main alarm, which is my phone. I would set my phone in the bathroom. So the iPad would go off and I just knew like, okay, if I'm groggy, kind of laying there, even if I have hit snooze on that, I just know I've got like two minutes before the other one goes off. I've got to get up, walk into my bathroom turn that thing off. And once I'm up, I'm typically up, you know? Um, but I just, you know, so I, some people say, well, I've heard, put your phone in the bathroom, but I wouldn't hear it. I would just sleep through it. And I'm like, okay, get something beside your bed. Like I do set it for a couple of minutes before. And then you're going to get up and go turn the other one off. That's going to be a, that's going to be a big uh, help for some of your people if they just need to get up and get out of bed. Um, I, I want you to paint the picture for us because I know today, among all these other extraordinary things, um, you're, a, you're a coach, you help people turn their lives around all this, but oh yeah, you're also a financial advisor running a 30 to 40 person office. Paint the picture back in 2015 when uh, before you, you realized, my goodness, I hit this wall, you're overworked, you're burned out. What was life like? then? Man, it's, uh, it's a great question. I don't know if anybody's asked it that way. It's almost hard to remember. It wasn't that long ago, but I've had such a life change in the person I am today and the way I think today is just so foreign from what that was back then. Luckily, I wasn't in, uh, I, was, I was pseudo running this office, I would say. I, I was learning the ropes to take over this office. So I wasn't really the guy having to make all the crucial decisions and having to do so much of the leadership type duties that a CEO or people running their own companies have to do. Thank goodness. I mean, I'm so blessed and grateful that I got this figured out in my early thirties before. I mean, some people, some clients I meet with, they're getting into their fifties and they're like, I realize I have wasted my life. I've wasted relationships. I've wasted time. I've just because they're just now figuring all of this out. Uh, so I'm so grateful for that. But it was, uh, you know, again, just just for the sake of the podcast, because I know we have a limited amount of time here, it was just very, uh, very non-emotional in relationships, which I still struggle with today. Like you can be a great leader and be, be emotional in relationships. I'm beginning to learn, even if you're not an emotionally uh, driven person naturally, you just have to be mindful of it. You have to be mindful of what people need. And even if it's not your like I'm not a warm, touchy feely, you know, type of person like some people out there are. So I have to really work to overcompensate and really dig deep as to what people need. But negative thoughts, lack of sleep, as I mentioned, 
really short with people, not even realizing that I was being, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, lack of time, business, whatever. I'll just give them a quick answer and move on. And I just seemed very cold and very, uh, and I was doing the same thing at home. Unfortunately, I was, um, you know, loud noises, as you know, with two kids, they talk over, I don't know about yours, mine talk over each other all the time. And they're trying to fight for that position and yelling. And, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like that would just send me through the roof. And I, I'm still not perfect with that, but you have to be mindful of it. And I think once you identify it, once you name it, you got to name it to claim it. You may have heard that before. You got to name it and then you can claim it as something that you're working on. But until you name it, if you're like, well, I just struggle with this and that, and you're not really, you're not really pinpointing what the issue is, you can't really claim it as something that you now have in your, your, your arrow or your quiver that you can start really, you know, really working on. So once I started identifying some of that, again, not to the level that I know today, but it started helping me get a, a, a base of where to start working from in order to start improving this. And what I noticed was, is my relationships were, were going by the wayside. Everything was just matter of fact, business, cut and dry, move on, make a decision, move on, action. And I thrived on that when I was younger. I thought it was a strength. I very pridefully held onto that. And what I realized now is it can be, but overall, as you get older, when relationships are more important, family's more important, uh, you get higher up in the company or whatever it is your listeners are doing and you realize your decisions are more important, there's more at risk, that really does not serve itself well to be this aggressive, high commander type, you know, boom, 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 let me just, you know, get out of my way, I got decisions to make, really doesn't serve you well. And the best leaders out there are the ones that don't, don't do that, you know, despite what we would think with the whole hustle and grind mentality that everybody talks about out there. It's like, now the great ones over time have learned how to tap into emotional intelligence, personal pre executive presence, uh, all the things that I wasn't doing early on and really doing the exact opposite of all of that. And I think, I, I don't, again, I don't say this lightly, I think I would have lost everything, possibly lost my family, possibly lost my business, lost all, I just don't even know where it would have gone. So I'm so glad that I, I learned all of that, but you got to be aware of it. Mm, amazing. Looking back on your younger self, what advice would you give that person? Oh, man, that's a, uh, that is a tough one. Um, not in the sense that, that I haven't answered that question before, but in the context of this, the reason I say it's a tough one is people could have given me the right advice that I later learned, the things I'm sharing with you here. And I don't know that I would have been mature enough or um, I would have been too prideful to accept it. I w again, I would have thought that this running and hustling and grinding and all this muscling it through and all this stuff was a strength. Like, don't tell me to stop doing these things. Um, yeah, I'll be mindful of it going forward, but I'm not going to quit. This, this is a strength. Like I've got to, got to fight, got to race every day. And again, that serves you pretty well when you're younger. You, you, you can establish some horsepower. You can get out of the gate. You can really make a name for yourself, whatever. But again, I think I would just go back and, and tell myself all the things that I've learned about the brain, the body, emotional intelligence, leadership. What is leadership and what does significance really mean? Again, I just say it's tough because I just don't know that I would have been in a mindset to follow it. So if your listeners out there are hearing anything, take it from me. If you're younger, younger than I am, I'm 35 years old right now. So if you're younger than I am and you're in that mentality of I pride myself on making quick decisions, getting people out of my way, moving on to the next thing, I'm just here to tell you, look at any leadership position that is really thriving at the highest level, the highest level. And look at the traits that they hold. Look at what got them there. And I can promise you it's not what possibly you're doing or certainly not what I was doing early on. So just take some lessons from that. And even if you don't change it overnight, start being aware of what you're doing. And uh, you got to be aware of it before we can work on it. If that's not the sound bite, my goodness, that's amazing. What mantra do you live by today? Oh, and it, I tell you, and, and this, we're all a work in progress, right? This whole leadership is a journey and an experiment, uh, your life change, um, self-improvement. It's all, it's all a journey. And that's why I tell clients of mine that I coach and people that I work with, if you have been working on some of this for a while, don't, don't beat yourself up. Um, one of my favorite books out there, With Winning in Mind by Lanny Basham, uh, he really frames failure and self, uh, negative self-thoughts in a really really good way where he talks about the fact that it's not failure unless we didn't learn from it. And how are we always looking at failure? How are we viewing failure? Not as failure in and of itself, but as feedback. And if we view failure as feedback, then we don't lose. We always win. We either win or we learn. We never lose, right? And so what I would just say to, um, you know, really to your question is how do we, um, 
reframe, reframe the question for me one more time, because I had a path that I wanted to go there, but I just want to make sure I'm giving your listeners exactly what, what they need to tie into this. What mantra do you live by today? And that's, I guess in, sorry, what I'm asking is in all areas of life that we've been talking about, not just the business aspect. Correct. Right. Okay. So again, this is the part that I'm not uh, great at just because my emotional, uh, just the way I'm wired is, is something that's not an excuse, but it's something I have to be mindful of and work on. If I'm not as touchy feely, if I'm not as you know emotional, again, the great leaders are the ones that really attract people to follow them. And they do that by tapping into them emotionally. So the mantra that I live by and that I strive to learn and improve every day is around that significance model. And the fact that as I get higher in leadership or as I take on more responsibilities, my actions and my grinding and my work and my achievements actually become less significant. And what really matters is how am I lifting others up? How am I pouring into others? How am I making them feel? How am I leaving a legacy, you know, way out later in life about what they are doing? Whereas earlier in my career, it was about what can I go accomplish today? And there's still some of that as a leader of organization. What what, what am I doing to help the, the firm and what am I doing to help? But it's more about we and it's more about they in my mind. And I really do have to, you know, put that as the focal front and put the mirror in front of my face constantly about knowing where I am weak in relating to others, knowing where I am not present as a leader, knowing where I'm short with others when I know that the, the day is busy and I've got very limited time and, you, you know, you get the guy, have you got a second? Have you got, are you free for a second? And everything within me wants to say no. But you got to give them, to some degree, you got to give them a little bit of that time or say, hey, I love you. Come back at such and such time if you're free. Uh, I wasn't even willing to do that earlier in my career. So it's more about, the mantra is more about service to others, gratitude, serving others, accomplishments through them, building them up, not so much of the, what can I go out and just, you know, manhandle today? Because that really, really helped create some success, quote unquote, certainly not going to create a lot of significance over time. What a magnificently honest answer. Now, Jared, go with me on this one, if you will. What do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? Well, I do believe in a creator. I believe in God. I believe you can look around and you can see just in creation. And just, I was actually having a meeting with someone just this morning. I'm not making this up for the purpose of the podcast. Just this morning at 6.30 a.m., I met with somebody and we talked about this exact same subject of how complex creation is. And even that he gave the example, even the three little tiny bones in your ear, you know, that my belief, you may have some people that disagree here. I may lose some of your listeners. My belief is that didn't come from pond scum millions of years ago, sitting at the bottom of a lake somewhere, right? I, I do believe in evolution and how things have, from how things have changed and evolved over time, but I think it's through creation. That's my personal belief. So, you know, I believe once it's all said and done, if you, if you are a person of faith and you have that belief, um, then you are going to move forward and you're going to go forward to be with the creator if you've done the things that you're supposed to do here. And, uh, and that's, that's where you're going to be long-term. And, you know, the biggest fear that I have just while we're on this subject is a wasted life. Just, I, I see so many, again, I see so many people that I'm working with on their retirement planning or their, you know, planning after work. And they just, you, you just see it in their eyes and in their mind is that there's a sense of longing of what could I have done differently? What could I have done better whenever I was younger and a sense of a wasted life and the impact that I'm making here on this earth. Again, back to that significance is, you know, to me, that's what really, I was about to say haunts me. It's not, that's not the right word to use, but you get what I'm saying. That's what really kind of hangs over me is what am I doing to leave an impact so that I can live the way I need to today and then on into, you know, after I'm, after I'm gone, what impact I left. I got to tell you, I can certainly relate to that. My, um, perhaps you can relate and others can relate to my two children coming into this world, uh, not from day one immediately, but after a couple of years. Now, like I said, my daughter's five, my son is three, amazing, incredible, my everything to the point that, like you said, I have since gotten my act together, changed all those negative things that I needed to because I'm looking at them and saying, look how they're looking at me when I'm not the best that I could be or want to be for them. And now I live very consciously and deliberately every one of my moments to say, if this should be the last moment I have on earth, I need it to be I need it to be good. I need it to be something that I can go on with 
pride from. And that's kind of thing keeps me going. I never want to find myself in a situation where if the unthinkable should happen, that's my last moment. So having that mindset really helps me funnel things properly. Yeah. And just, just to that point, I know it's a, it's on topic a little off, but you know, with your kids, I mean, both of us have young children. So I speak to people uh, in my business and in my coaching and all of that, that are well older, older than you and I both whose kids are older, you know, right now we're, we're their heroes. And I'm sure your listeners have young kids will relate to this. We are their heroes. They can't get enough of us. They love it when we come home. They hate it when we leave. And I've just heard from so many people how quickly your children, if, you know, especially if you are living a toxic, in a toxic environment with your spouse or living in a toxic environment, just in your, your way you relate to people or to your children or to just, just life in general, especially someone like me that's, that's not as emotionally you know, touchy-feely, whatever. Um, you know, it's amazing how many, how many people have told me how quickly those children start detaching from you to where, you know, Dad, don't hug me at school anymore. Dad, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Dad, I'm doing something. You know, I'll be back later. And it's all about them. And eventually that's going to happen. We've got to learn to let them go. But I don't want that to happen as so quickly because of my efforts that I was polarizing to the point that I was uh, coming home mad, stressed out every day, not getting good sleep, not treating everyone well, those sort of things. There you go. We're saying the same thing. I will leave you with this final question. Jared Warren how would you like to be remembered? It all, just for the sake of time here, it all is going to come down to a simplistic answer. And that is giving. That is, and I know that's, that's very broad, right? If we had another hour, I could go into it more, but just giving, giving of my time, giving of my efforts, giving of my emotions, giving of my, again, when you asked me about my mantra, it was more about others focused now, not self-focused. And while that's not always perfect and I'm selfish, just like anybody else out there, uh, again, being mindful of it is is key. And so again, uh, I can't stress to your listeners enough, the things that you're doing each day that feel good from a self-achievement or self-preservation standpoint, I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just saying if that's the only thing you care about, uh, I mean, again, just through my, my path, we better learn really quickly what matters in life, especially if you're going to be in a leadership standpoint or if you're going to have strong relationships. And if you talk to older people, what do they say is most important? Those who are close to you and those that you're striving to impact. I mean, you hear some version of that, not 20 years ago, I sold my company and that's still been the greatest thing I think about every day. No, I mean, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares. None of my kids, your kids, they're not going to care what accomplishments we have they, to some degree, but I would just say um, just giving. That's how I want to be remembered. And uh, for so much of my life, I've not lived that way. And I'm just really excited for the next however long I have here on this earth, 30 plus years, whatever, uh, to really work toward that constantly. And then learning from when I do fail, learning how that that's actually feedback. And here's how we need to improve that and, and change that. My goodness, there is so much here. I'm starting to like think back on what we covered. I'm looking at my notes here and there, there is so, thank you, Jared. There is so much here, so much good that um, just, hits hits nicely home thank you thank you for showing up for opening up and for being you today well and it, you know I always look at it and I go man how it, after what I've learned and how it's changed my life how absolutely selfish would I be if I didn't make the time to pour back into other people so my hope for your listeners is that they took something away from this even if they thought it's weird to tape your mouth shut at night or, you know or whatever I mean I hope there's a nugget that somebody took away and that's how I, you know I really have to just kind of I'll, I'll kind of end with this you know for so long, I thought, you know, knowledge is power, knowledge is power, knowledge is power. We've heard that our whole life. Uh, I'm the guy that's always had an earbud in his ear with a podcast or an audio book on one or two times speed. I'm a guy that in meetings has the email pulled up in the background. And I'm constantly working away, mm -hmm. not present back to that leadership presence. Now, you know, you look at podcasts, there's so many great podcasts out there that people can tune into yours, mine, tons of others. Uh, but how much are we contributing to uh, even in the good stuff noise that's out there? And so what I would tell your listeners and what I tell people nowadays is knowledge in our busy social society today is not so much power as much as it is noise. Uh, when was the last time you took an audio book and listened to it and, and actually journaled out the points that you're hearing you go, Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Three days later, you don't even remember what the points were. Take the time like they did back in the old days when you maybe were, you know, maybe you were wealthy enough to buy one book a year or whatever. Right. And you literally read it three times because that's all you had and you made notes about it. I mean, that's learning, right? So 
I'm becoming more minimalist, more essentialist, whatever you want to call that, where just decluttering the noise in life, especially in the evenings. So that's what we talked about and really learning from each one of those. If your listeners want to learn more about the morning and evening routines, the, the resources, the tools that I use, they can go to my website. I've got a page for that. It's success. It's not the success 101 podcast. It's just success 101 podcast.com forward slash resources. And I'm always updating that list on testing and training and things that I've got going on. And uh, you better believe once I find something that works, it'll, it'll go in that list. And if I find that it's not working for any reason or, or there's more data out or something better in the future, I will remove it from that list. But it's typically updated with all my tools and resources. And then if you guys want to dive even further into some of the things that I mentioned on the morning and evening routine, my episode, episode 172. I believe it's, I believe this is right. Episode 173 and 174. So success101podcast.com forward slash 173 and 174. That'll take you through both my morning and evening routines. Most, some of the stuff we talked about here today, but it goes a little bit further into maybe more things that will appeal uh, to you guys where you're not just getting like just a quick hit of it right here on this, uh, on this show for the lack of time that we have. Well, there you go. I, 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 I'm, just, I, I'm just overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude uh, for all of this. We're going to link to all of this. We'll make certain of that. Again, thank you, Jared. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Like was noted, if you got something out of this, don't just keep it to yourself. Put it into motion. Take some form of action and continue to do the good work. We're going to have another episode close behind. Until we do, thank you for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.